Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Joining us on the podcast today are equity research analysts Evan Zettel and Vishal Chopra to discuss all things new and innovative in the Canadian technology sector. They discuss how Canada is making a name for itself within AI and where they see investor opportunity. Vishal and Evan speak about the University of Toronto's influence on AI model and training development, work which has formed the basis for some of the transformer models in modern applications today. Companies within Canada that have built relationships with U of T are well positioned to take advantage of these developments and build their own large language models or use existing models to amplify their products. Evan and Vishal explain that ChatGPT has pioneered the fastest tech adoption the world has ever seen, reaching 100 million users in the past two months. Since these large language models work with text, they have serious disruptive potential and can be used by companies to streamline various tasks, such as drafting emails or proposals. Significant attention is being paid to regulation, and Evan and Vishal predict that large tech companies will begin to work with governments in order to stay ahead. They say North America continues to remain the main story for AI, particularly Toronto and Silicon Valley. This episode was recorded on May 26th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Great to see you both. How are you? Welcome. Great. Thanks for having us. Glad to see you in person here. This is kind of fun. Um, let's go straight. We'll invite everyone to send their questions in. So we'll take take all those questions um, for both Evan and Vishal. Evan, can you tell us what we're watching in the markets at the moment? This is wild. AI didn't appear yesterday, but yesterday was, uh, it must have been a watershed. I think you're seeing really positive sentiment around AI, just in terms of a lot of consumers are familiar with the chat GPT use case. They are really excited about the technology. They've built their essay. They've asked it questions where they've gotten responses that are um, no short of incredible. And I think with that, even at the board level of these companies, there's a pressure to say, what are we doing to benefit from AI or to not get disrupted from AI? And these conversations are permeating down and driving kind of the picks and shovels um, that you need to build these models and advance your AI strategy. And I think the market is really picking up that, that today and it's showing in, up in the numbers now for one of the first quarters. So I think that's really driving the interest. Yeah, it's fascinating to watch this. It's a very fast moving um, story. Why don't we just pull back a little bit and actually look at Canada's place right in the center of this story. Um, probably most people joining us know that Toronto plays a bit of a role, but drove downtown today and they're, they're doing the landscaping around one of the big, big centers, hives of AI technology in Toronto. How did it get there? Yeah, I think U of T was really one of the leading universities when it comes to AI model and training development. Jeff Hinton, which is considered one of the founders of AI, has really done some great work over 
basically his entire career in developing new models, specifically artificial neural network models, which form the basis of some of these transformer models that you're seeing in applications today. And I think both him as well as his lab are one of the reasons why that university in particular plays such an important role in, um, in AI in general. I think companies within Canada that both have relations with uh, university, the University of Toronto, as well as the ability to reach out to that university and work with them will be able to take advantage of some of these new developments and build their own uh, large language models or use some existing large language models in their own products. Amazing. Evan, the, the money that, that seeded this um, initially idea and ultimately what it's been built into, uh, is that money still flowing the way it always has been? Is it we're watching sort of things come to fruition, certainly, that have been invested in? We're also hearing a lot about, obviously, interest rates being where they are. Venture capital firms are, are kind of getting washed out in certain areas. Is this, uh, what, what do you say? I think you're seeing dollars flowing. I think the VC funding is probably a step behind some of the strategic funding. You've heard about, you know, obviously OpenAI and the acquisition there. You've heard a lot about um, large companies coming to space and using their capital. And given kind of what's happening in VC with compression of valuations, with higher rates, with fewer dollars chasing, I think that you know, their role in AI might even be a little bit more limited relative to past transitions, relative to some of the larger strategic players with big balance sheets. Um, and that's a really interesting dynamic. I mean, when you're talking about larger players, we're talking about household names, literally, that are guiding this. Um, and everyone knows exactly who they are. Uh, some of them have had stock prices that have just done wild things over the last couple of days. Where do you see companies... I mean, are companies learning how to use AI? How fast is this happening? Do they all make sure that their chief technology um, officer is is implementing it into the S&P 500 companies? Like, how far along is this? I think people are still on the testing stages of trying to figure out exactly how they want to use some of these large language models into their own product. So when it comes to, for example, how people think about shopping online, maybe you implement a chatbot that enables for a personal. So we've personal seen that shoppers. for a while, right? Also yeah. the, we had gazillions of chat boxes telling us how to buy shoes online and everything. None of that's new. So is it the companies that haven't done that yet, essentially? I think it's both companies that haven't done that yet and don't have that necessarily that chatbot interface because over the past 10 years or so, the chatbots haven't maybe been the best personalized shopping assistant. So they can improve, improve upon the existing technologies as well as those who don't have it because maybe it wasn't the best uh, technology in the first place. They can use and build it from scratch uh, using some of the, the new models that are out there. There's a lot of building on what's already been there, Evan. Um, if you go back to examples, say, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't know that, you know, the AOLs would end up sort of tanking and other big names would grow, for instance. What do we know now? Can you tell us? There's shifting sands right now. I think what's really interesting is this will probably be the biggest platform shift we see in kind of the modern landscape. You've seen them prior with the shift to mobile. You've seen a shift to cloud compute. Um, I would bet that AI will be bigger than both because it really does open a whole new set of technology around um, creativity and human intelligence applied by a machine. And those use cases are very broad. And I think that's what's particularly interesting about this platform shift. So what are they? 
and maybe also tell us how many people are trying this out every day. So can we just start that? Like how many people are literally, yeah. I feel like I hear people all the time saying, oh, I'm using it in this. And they're different circles. So everyone's trying it out, it seems. How fast is this rate? Yeah, I think going? the most interesting data point that surfaced is ChatGPT reached 100 million users in two months. And to put that into perspective, it's the fastest tech adoption the world's ever seen. And Facebook took four years to reach 100 million users. So that's kind of, you know, how I'd frame the scale and the adoption, which really speaks to product market fit with consumers. Consumers are very interested in this product. And you've seen kind of fits and starts before on prior technologies recently, like crypto or the metaverse, which was not nearly as uh, accessible to the average consumer. Nowhere close to 100 million would have adopted it in any time frame. And so that's really one of the dramatic changes that shows you just um, the euphoria there is for this modern AI technology. How can companies, um, Michelle, put this to work to, to streamline themselves, actually? Yeah, I think that there's there's lots of ways to automate tasks in, in your job. So, for example, whether or not it comes to uh, your email and figuring out, like, can you draft a response to this email that I received or draft an email or together or draft a proposal for something at work that you're trying to do? I think the fact that these large language models work with text and a lot of what people do on computers is work with text enables it to be really disruptive when it comes to certain tasks at work. Did you think that we'll, I mean, we're communicating constantly, right? We're on all kinds of different platforms and there's always an email or a WhatsApp or something that you haven't returned because there's just so many of them. Will this actually change how we communicate? Put that to you. I, I think it'll make it easier. I think part of the challenge of communication is in the drafting, is in the writing. And one of the earliest use cases for a lot of this uh, GPT or large language model tech is something uh, a lot of people are calling copilot, which is basically you give it the prompt or the idea and it will craft you kind of a well articulated uh, paragraph, sentence, email. Um, which you can go and modify or use directly. And so I think that element of creativity and making what has historically been a quite burdensome task of putting together a couple paragraphs for an email or a note for kind of whatever that use case is, becomes a whole lot easier and reduces friction to communication and increases the quality of communication for a lot of these parties. Tell us a bit more about you're going through sort of the email pieces of application. Where, where would we see this? Go, go through a couple of sectors. Like I'm even thinking the mining sector. I mean, there, there's all every sector in theory could use this. Is that right? Yes. We hear these notes that every every single company on the S&P 500, for instance, is looking into this and is going to various large players to to sort themselves out. Um, no sector could not use this. Yeah, I think every sector can use this. For example, within the technology sector itself, Evan was talking about the co-pilot. There's the ability for software engineers to use this in their roles to create effectively programs or pieces of code uh, that they can use. I think it's it's interesting because it enables them to move on from maybe some of the lower value work in programming and focus on higher value work, such as talking to clients, figuring out exactly what they want the programs to be able to do, and then working with co-pilot in order to develop that system. I think one of the biggest points of friction that you see today as you're trying to verticalize or put into industries this tech is companies' concern around their data and data privacy. Totally. So to tailor uh, a large language model use case towards a mining industry or healthcare or services, whatever that looks like, 
you need it to work with you know a lot of internal data and companies have a lot of questions about does that feed the broader model for everybody you know will they will the broader public have the benefit of for example, a large company's information and data set that might be proprietary. So some of those questions are still very early stages. And I think companies are wrestling with how to tackle that issue vis-a-vis adopting some of this tech for the efficiencies they get out of it. I mean, so both of you, along with many other team members I know, uh, are looking at how companies are questioning this, putting it to use. Um, what do you say to portfolio managers? I mean, what what do they need to know ultimately that you're producing in terms of companies should, shouldn't, what stage they're at? They need to get on this? Do companies need to get on this quickly? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple things we talk to portfolio managers about. The first is just really digging into the technology deeply. Our portfolio managers are curious and want to understand how does this work? Why does it work? Um, what is the path for it to getting even better? From there, we talk a lot about who are the winners, who stands to benefit from this, the adoption of this technology or the specialization of technology, who are the losers. And what's really interesting, especially in this market, is the narrative leads the numbers. So you can make or lose money on a stock, you know, just vis-a-vis the narrative of AI winner or AI loser ahead of the actual numbers. And so getting ahead of That's it. That's a bit scary, is, eh? Yeah, it, uh, the portfolio managers are really focused on it. And we're having a lot of great conversations. Yeah, that's that's fast. I mean, that sort of speaks to this tipping point type thing. Uh, Michelle, would you say we're at a tipping point? I mean, we're reading all these headlines. It seems like we are. What do you say? I think that there's still some data security issues to work through, but okay. I do think that we are close to a tipping point in terms of the development of these tools, even beyond uh ChatGPT's user profile, lots of people are using ChatGPT itself to build companies. And I think the fact that they're able to use that technology to build new things shows that were close, if not already added to the plan. So let's go into one of the questions coming in is, you know, thoughts on the security concerns ultimately. So, I mean, how are those addressed? We, we hear at the same time, cybersecurity is only an ever-growing concern for everyone, really. Um, so how do the security concerns sort of get folded into this discussion? Yeah, I think it goes back to what Evan was talking about, which is when you're using those models um, produced by various companies, or is the data that you're providing for those models actually stay on, for example, company servers, et cetera, or does it get used to, at the end of the day, train those models? And, and companies want to be able or want to know that their data is not being used models. And as long as people can give them that sort of security, they'll feel comfortable using some of the models that are out there today. Can, can they? Yes, they can. They can. Yeah. They can. I think just on the cybersecurity point as well, what's really interesting is most cybersecurity hacks are actually done through social engineering. So it's you call someone up and get their password and two-factor authentication mm-hmm. or convince them to give you access to a certain system that they shouldn't. And with that social engineering, it actually becomes even easier with AI to craft the the phishing email or to basically like create that social context or social message. The fraudsters are using AI. Exactly. And so that actually increases um, the need for proper security, proper training of people. And it's not even on the infrastructure side, but just that social engineering side um, is really at risk with modern AI. And I think that's something to think about. And the cybersecurity vendors are thinking about it as well. How long have each of you been sort of at this, looking at this, and, and obviously disseminating the information and research within Fidelity? Like you've been, again, this is in the headlines now, but you're not new to this. Maybe about 
Yes. So we were taking a look at it right when ChatGPT first came out. And we were obviously aware of AI beforehand, but ChatGPT reached a million users in about five days. So it's relatively (laughs) quick uh, to get to a million users. And I think internally, we were aware of the technology. And starting from that process, we were able to question companies, ask them, like, are you currently working with this technology? Do you think it poses a risk to the business model, et cetera? And starting those conversations from its earlier days really helps us form our understanding of which companies will be winners, which companies still need to work on uh, developing maybe internal tools, et cetera, in order to avoid being disrupted. Okay. Yeah. Anything to add to that? Or that's the main, like, how long have you been at this? Yeah. Um, you know, I've been looking at AI um, for a long time. I attended an AI conference back in 2017 in San Francisco uh, to talk a lot about how the technology is being adopted, how the actual picks and shovels um, to train a technology is being adopted. And so I've kind of been following this AI theme. Now it's just really tangible because of the chat GPT example and so many people um, have been uh, exposed to that. But you know, I would say a lot of the big companies actually led the public narrative on it and they were really focused on things like optimization using AI uh, even five, six years ago. And so, you know, I would say that we've been talking about this internally and with portfolio managers for, for quite a while. This is just another catalyst on that journey and one that's a lot more tangible to people that might not be particularly interested in some of the lower level tech conversations. And a couple of questions rolling in here. So one of them, for sure, I mean, this is a concern. So any idea how much of an impact this will have um, ultimately on jobs, favorably, also negatively? I think when you take a look at disruptive technologies, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going, there's going to be a negative impact on jobs. The way to look at it is when ATMs first came out, there wasn't a negative impact on the number of tellers in the U.S. In fact, it increased over that period of time because it increased the productivity of branches and banks were able to open up more branches. So in a similar vein, I don't think that uh, these large language models will necessarily replace jobs, but it'll help you become more efficient. And I think in that process, as you improve productivity, maybe companies can jobs such as prompt engineers, et cetera, to further develop uh, how to exactly help uh, existing employees do their jobs, which is more productive. Evan, we've seen on that, we've seen uh, big headlines from important people like Greg Hinton, who you mentioned, but but also others uh, who are sort of the, the fathers of AI, as I understand it, pointing to the concerns. And uh, so to what extent do you take that and sort of worry about it? And, and, and how are companies looking at that as well? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different kind of avenues to think about. One of them being uh, Jeff Hinton is a researcher who's developed his whole life to artificial intelligence. And from Canada. From anyway, Canada. Yes, um, the, the background there, the quick, interesting background story is about 10 years ago, there was this competition called ImageNet where groups around the world compete to figure out who can identify the most images. One of Jeff's students, Alan Krzyzewski, uh, sorry, Alex Krzyzewski introduced um, a tool called AlexNet into this image identification competition and beat all of the other players by, you know, an incredible margin, more than kind of any other winner had won by. Wow. And that really drove the modern adoption of artificial neural networks and backpropagation, which was Jeff Hinton's research. So that's how it started. And I think just being a researcher in the space and seeing that progression, um, it, it really makes him kind of extrapolate what he's seen and where he's gone from, I think it was the late 80s when he started looking at this, 
Um, and so he might have a view of, you know, logarithmic expansion and it just can be, and I would be a little bit more skeptical or a little bit less um, worried about that. I think um, we're still very early in the technology and though the output is impressive, the input is really just matrix algebra. It's fun with numbers in, and vectors. And so- um, What's that mean? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So effectively, the whole basis of a large language model is it takes words and it puts them into numbers. So when the model spits out a result, it's not thinking about spitting out words, it's just putting out numbers that work well together and what number it thinks is next, which is tagged to a word, which is how you get the completion. So what these models are is effectively filling out the next word. It's not deep thinking, it's really just taking numbers uh, putting them in a matrix, figuring out which numbers are closest and using that to spit out the next word, which makes a lot of sense to humans because of the trillions of pieces of data and text it's trained on. Mm. So will it make autocorrect a little more correct? It should, absolutely. It should, right? Yeah. The, um, Boy, it's annoying. The modern paper that uh, started this was attention is all you need and think about something like the word bank, trying to figure out am I going to a financial institution or is it a river bank? And the context in which that word bank appears um, really helps computers craft a better sentence. Whereas before, if they just saw bank, it was tough to distinguish between the two banks. And so they call that attention, and that's how modern models work. Fantastic. Okay, here's the regulation question, because this is, you know, for anything that's new, they have no idea how to regulate it, because the regulators don't necessarily know how to regulate it yet. What are you noticing on this front? What's, what's happening and what's absolutely not happening? I think there's a lot more attention on regulation specifically in figuring out exactly how do you make sure that you don't see some of those negative effects of AI over a five, 10 year period. It's really tough to predict exactly how regulation will evolve, but I think you're going to start to see large tech companies work with governments and figure out exactly how you, for example, label models, et cetera, to make sure that you don't get those negative effects. And that will be something that I'm expecting to see over the next few years. But Vishal, why would why would, for instance, these big players work with government at this right now more or less so than any other tech development? You know, there's lots of things that are that come to market and regulators are on the back foot. It's just brand new stuff. I mean, how, how is this different? I think it's a bit different because we have been working on AI for a period of time. And I think if we are close to a tipping point and people are starting to recognize with ChatGPT and all its popularity, that this is something that we need to get ahead of. So in terms of the level of popularity, the fact that it got so popular so quickly is really helping um, enable regulators to not be on the back foot this time. Okay, anything on government regulation? I think the other point, it's it's a little bit of an adverse incentive or you know, not what you would expect, but um, regulation actually solidifies incumbents for the most time. It stifles innovation and reduces competition. So if you are an incumbent and you have, you are a step ahead in AI today, if you regulate away competition, you can basically keep your moat or kind of keep your advantage for longer and prevent that innovation or from new, or new competitors from coming up. And so you've seen this actually uh, with some companies arguing for privacy law where you know privacy is part of the business model, but they are the incumbent and that enables them to stay the incumbent. So I would argue there's an element of regulatory capture is what they call it by some of these players to try and stay ahead and um, keep their front position. I feel like you just AI'd the next question that just came in here. So in tech, which industries are winning and which are losing? It, 
It's a tough question to answer, but I think in general, the way that I take a look at it is if you're an innovative company today, you have the opportunity to implement some of these models. And big and wealthy. As well as big and wealthy in order to train some of those models. So that definitely helps you out. And I think if you aren't spending that time there and there are companies that aren't spending your time there, you risk getting disrupted. And I think that's part of the fidelity advantage is being able to talk to some of these management teams and figure out who exactly is spending enough time here. And who isn't in order to separate out the winners and losers. I agree with that. And just kind of looking through balance sheets, understanding the research or the incentives coming out of some of these organizations. You know, when you look at how AI has progressed, there's been a few uh, org- companies that everybody would know here that have really been on the front foot in terms of the research that has led to the modern AI revolution. Um, and so I think following that, understanding are they still kind of leading the pack or lagging, that's really important when we think about companies, winners and losers and, and how uh, we talk to PMs in terms of where, where our dollars should flow. Is there any way to tie inflation to this story? There's one sort of main one and it has to do with that question about, you know, will jobs be lost or not? But, but you know, the inflation narrative of paying people to do things that maybe AI can do, which is, does that fit in this conversation? Tech is inherently deflationary, so it definitely fits into that conversation with helping with productivity and hopefully uh, reducing some of the inflation issues that we have today. Okay. I think just one thing to mention on that is the nice thing about this technology, there were some questions about job losses, but this is a technology that's very easy for people to interface with because it is natural language driven. You can ask your question to chat GPT um, and it will give you a natural language response to your natural language questions. So there's not a lot of this tech adoption issue where you might have seen like it was very tough to enter the metaverse. It was very tough to transact in crypto. But to approach the benefits of these large language models, I think for the average person, it's very easy, which is actually something that that's very nice about this technology. Mm-hmm. It's it's harder to be left behind because it is natural language prompting. That's so interesting. Um, will government, and I would say within that, um, education be revolutionized in, in a positive way due to AI? I think education is a very interesting vertical because you have the opportunity for this technology to effectively be a personal tutor uh, for people around the world. And right now, we really need to make sure that the technology produces real answers and doesn't hallucinate or generate something that's incorrect. But as it improves, I think the fact that you're able to have these private tutors and help maybe people who who want the opportunity to have a more personalized education, and it can definitely help there. Yeah, yeah. I think education has been one of the industries where there's been the least productivity over the last 20 to 30 years. Um, And this is an opportunity to increase that productivity in terms of uh, much more tailored lesson plan or learnings uh, or kind of reduced student-teacher ratio or better allocation of teacher resources, better allocation of education resources. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is, you know, one of the best chances that we have to improve education over time, which is, once again, historically lacked in terms of productivity relative to other sectors. Vishal, globally around the world, we've mentioned Toronto, Canada too much probably, Um, where else is this really taking? What are the other centers of AI? I'm, I'm sure North America. Is North America the main story here? I think North America is the main story here when it comes to the Not China, not Europe, necessarily? 
Not necessarily at the forefront, no. I think in North America, not only do you have Toronto, but you also have Silicon Valley with VC funding, as well as a lot of other very popular universities in North America that have great computer science, uh, great mathematics programs, and they're at the forefront of AI as well. India? I think India is an interesting one as well because of their strong their strong engineering as yeah. well as strong mathematics programs. Yeah. Who do you, what's the message you want to leave people with, Evan? They, they've listened to this um, and they've either tried it themselves or they want to be able to tell their clients what Fidelity is doing on this front. How, how would you kind of wrap up this conversation in terms of what advisors need? Yeah, I think what's really interesting is a lot will change with AI. And if you are on the forefront of understanding winners and losers and narrative and numbers, there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of volatility that comes with it. Sentiment will swing. And that's one of the things that I think is really interesting is the alpha to capture in this space over the next five to 10 years is very high and there'll be a lot of volatility. And we're doing the work to really capture that alpha and hopefully that'll be reflected in the funds. And that's what I would say is really interesting to tell clients is that we are on our front foot. We recognize this as an opportunity and the opportunity to capture alpha over the next five years in terms of investing is incredible. And this is changing daily. So you'll come back and join us. Evan and Vishal, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. And while visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.